So would you give a warm Eastern Ontario District and Nunavut welcome to Pastor Matt Tapley. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Is this the coolest preaching podium you've ever seen in your life? There's like levels. I can climb it. All right. Um, well, I'm glad to be here, and uh, I always love having the opportunity to speak to, to leaders and in a leadership context. Uh, it's the opportunity to just kind of uh, just really dig in, go deep, and uh, I'm just going to make some assumptions that there are hungry people here who just really want God to speak and uh, really want to be equipped. And, uh, and so I'm going to assume you have some basic Bible knowledge. Like, oh, dang it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, turn to the book of Hezekiah. And uh, that was a test. Okay. There is no book of Hezekiah. Those of you that started flipping in your Bibles. Come on now. All right. Uh, I just want to say thanks to... Uh, to uh, Jeremy and, and Melissa and, uh, and to Kathy and her husband just for having us here and for being wonderful neighbors in the true biblical sense of the word. And uh, praise the Lord. Inside jokes. Okay. Um, it is an honor to, to be here and speak to you. I bring you greetings from Lake Mount Worship Center. And that's our home church. Been there for, uh, be 14 years in, in uh, January. And uh, we just, we love our church. We love our community. If you want authority in your community, love it. If you want to have authority, if you want to have a voice in your community, love it. If you say, my city is the armpit of fill in the blank, you have no authority in your city. You have to love it. Love your city and, and speak blessing over it. So I love Grimsby. And uh, we love our city. We love our region. I love our nation. I believe that God is, uh, I believe that God has great things in store for the nation of Canada. And, uh, and so it's so exciting to see hungry, younger leaders ready to dig in uh, to the word of the Lord. I bring you greetings on behalf of my family, my wife Lisa and I. This past uh, August, we celebrated our 22nd uh, wedding anniversary. 22 years, yeah. Got married when we were 10 years old, and it was a really good decision to arrange marriages. And, uh, and we have three awesome kids. Our daughter, Abby, is 18, and uh, she's a part of our ministry internship at our church. And one of our worship leaders, she's just a dynamic young woman of God. Our son, Joey, is in grade 12. He's a man of God. He's a dude. Love him. And our daughter, Sarah, uh, actually in a couple of weeks will be the anniversary of her passing away. Uh, she passed away four years ago um, after a, a, a battle with illness. And, uh, and so she was almost 12 years old at the time. So uh, just a, a big part of our family journey is is recognizing the tension within our faith and, uh, and, and grappling with, um, you know, the, the kingdom of God is at hand and some of the questions of, of why things happen and why other things don't happen. But I want to say to you that as, as a people of God, we don't build our theology on disappointment. We don't build our theology on what God doesn't do. We build our theology on what God does do. We build our theology on what God has promised. And even if our experience doesn't line up to what he has promised, we build our theology on the promise and let our experience catch up. That's, that's how we grow in the kingdom of God. That's how our capacity um, grows. And, uh, and so for those of you that were here last night, was that an amazing word from Pastor Jared just uh, bringing that challenge about being people led by the Spirit? So good. Uh, this morning, I believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
And so um, I'm going to teach the word this morning, and uh, I, I'm going to resist the urge to be Johnny Conference speaker, and I just I want to really just kind of lay some teaching at you, uh, because I, I really want to honor and respect the leadership direction of this conference to really uh, aim to equip uh, emerging leaders in the themes that have been set out. I, I love the theme that has been set out about being led of the Spirit. I resonate with what Pastor Jerry was talking about last night, just that hunger for... Uh, to, to reclaim spiritual uh, discipline and spiritual focus and a, and a, a Holy Spirit dependency in our lives and in our ministries. Um, I, I think, you know, if you were one of the original 12 disciples and you got to walk with Jesus, and can you imagine, like, if you ever read the Gospels and thought, wouldn't it have been cool to, like, been one of the disciples? Like, you're walking with Jesus, you're seeing the miracles, listening to Jesus preach and teach and watching him just trash talk Pharisees and, and uh, you know, just, you know, spitting and making mud ball eyes and sticking them on blind people. And like, yeah, go wash that off and then they can see. And, you know, like, it's just so, so cool to, like, have been there. That would have been amazing. And, and then to actually watch the, the crucifixion and then, you know, lock yourself in an upper room and be kind of nervous and scared and, and just like, I, boy, I don't know how, what we're going to do now. And then Jesus comes walking through the wall, oh, right? And, and, and he's like, hey, guys, give me something to eat. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. It's like they get to see Jesus resurrected and he's hanging out with them for 40 days. And, and so, like, how many think that would be amazing? Show of hands, how many think that would be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, that would have been so amazing. And I think, like, if you lived through that and you had the experience of that, that would be so amazing to just, like, build a ministry around it. You know, just, you know, you take out a website and you book meetings. Just like, you know, I used to hang out with Jesus. I was one of his best friends. Uh, you know, I was like, wow, like, I want some of that to rub off on me. Like, that would be an amazing ministry, hanging out with Jesus. Actually, ministry impartation from Jesus. Like, the time that Jesus just put his hands on them, like, go do what I do. And they're like, okay. And this is before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they did it. It would be amazing. They see the resurrected Christ, all of that. And then Jesus' final words before he ascends into heaven is, hey guys, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel to everyone. I want you to disciple nations and I want you to, you know, I just want you to do what I've been doing. John 14 is like, I want you to do what I've been doing and you know what, take it up a notch. Do what, do what I've been doing and do even greater things than I've been doing. You're like, wow, is that legal or possible? <laughs> but then he says, but... Don't go anywhere and don't leave this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Until you have been baptized, literally, baptizo in the Greek, pickled in the Holy Spirit. Until you went in one way and came out another way. Yeah, how many know you don't, you don't have dill-flavored cucumbers, you have pickles? You go in one way and you come out another. Wait until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and power. Now, if those disciples with that encounter, that experience, that impartation, that level of access to Jesus, those kinds of testimonies, that kind of ministry cachet of being able to say, I was best friends with Jesus. I was on the boat when he stilled the storm. I was there when, the, when the, you know, the fish and the bread were multiplied. That kind of ministry cachet, if Jesus says to them, don't go anywhere until you've been clothed with power from on high. Listen to me. What do we think we're going to do without a, being clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit? What do we think we're going to do? What do we think we're going to like, just you know, wow people with, with technique? We must be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We, we, we have to stop regarding Holy Spirit-empowered ministry as fringe theology or even charismatic theology. There, you know, the Bible's not written to charismatics and it's not written to cessationists and it's not written to Calvinists and it's not written to Arminians. All of that stuff came along later. It's just written to believers. The whole Bible for the whole Christian, for the whole church. And we must be clothed with power. And so I so resonate with the, the passion that is in this room and what I believe is the growing passion in this room. What God is actually wanting to impart and, and then multiply like, like a flame that if we would steward it, if we would take care of it, that this flame could grow. That, that Like Jared was talking about last night, that, that wind and fire moving together could actually begin to become something that is stoked and white hot. That there could be a, a rolling, burning fire that we would actually not look to as an experience and how great this conference was, but that this would become the beginning and a tipping point of a lifestyle of burning white hot for Jesus. What would it look like? I'll put it to you this way. If we're concerned about the state of the church, here's the state of the church in the book of Acts. There are none. There's no church. There's no Christians anywhere on the planet. There's no Bible colleges. There's, there's no buildings. There's no institutions. There's just 120 people who can hang tough in a prayer meeting for 10 days. Start out with 500, 380 left. 120 people who could just hang with the Holy Spirit and pray. And from 120 people, we're here today. From 120 people who got passionate about the Holy Spirit and they were baptized. They didn't just kind of have a, you know, I, I think I felt something. Did you feel something? I totally felt something. Like, I, when they hit that one note, I had a goosebump. I had two, so I'm more spiritual. I cried a little bit and I fell over. No, the, these guys, they were lit up by the Holy Spirit and the world was changed. The testimony of unbelievers was that these guys were turning the world upside down. That kind of passion with 120 solid, just, just 120, not, not 120 passionate believers and then there's believers elsewhere, just 120 people and the world was changed. Listen, we don't have to get whittled down to 120 globally in order to prove this theory. What I'm saying is where we're starting right now needs to be the same starting point as we lock ourselves away, wait on God, and let the Holy Spirit come. And then watch, watch what God will do with a burning hot people that are just lit on fire by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning I want to I honor our, our theme. And, and we're talking about being led under and the theme this morning is about being led yes by the holy spirit but then also being led by actual human beings other than jesus from heaven in first corinthians uh, the apostle paul begins his message in, in to the corinthian church and he starts out and he's he starts out with correction, you know, no warm-ups, like, hey, everybody, how you doing? Now, what the heck is going on? Like, he just, he's into it, and he says, what's going on? Like, I hear these reports that some of you are like, I follow Paul, and some of you are like, I follow Apollos, and I follow Barnabas, and I follow Cephas, and, and Paul is just kind of like, is Christ divided? Give your heads a shake, we follow Jesus. And everyone's like, amen, that's what I was saying, Paul, Amen. And that's 1 Corinthians 1. Three chapters later, 1 Corinthians 4, 
Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And you're like, hold on. Weren't you the guy who said, is Christ divided? Weren't you the guy who said, you know, we should stop worrying about following some people and just get serious about following Jesus? And now you're saying, follow me as I follow Christ? Yeah, what Paul was saying was, listen, we can't become uh, ingrained into a cult of personality, but we need to recognize that as we follow others, we're following Christ. And listen, if your followership of Jesus Christ doesn't involve another human being, you're not as good a follower as you think you are. God believes in delegated authority. He always has. Do you know who has dominion over the earth? Humanity. You know why? Because God gave us dominion over the earth. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. He's like, I'm going to give you dominion over the earth. I've read the Bible. He didn't change his mind. That's what he did. He gave dominion to humanity. You want to know how earth got screwed up? Humanity. You want to know why God had to fix the earth by becoming a human? Because he gave humanity dominion. Yeah, I get it. God took on flesh because... Humanity had dominion. He needed, he needed to come as a man and take the dominion back because humanity gave it away to the devil. And that didn't work out so good. So, so then God establishes the church. And then he says that in the church, Ephesians 4.11, he says in the church, God has given apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. He's given these five gifts, five-fold ministry. Now, if you think that for some reason God started with some of those gifts and then he whittled a few off and now he's just got a couple left over, I disagree with you. I don't think that Jesus is coming back for anything less than he left. So I believe in, in fivefold ministry. I believe that there are apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. That doesn't mean I believe that the scripture is still being written today by people who call themselves apostles. And I don't think that we need to get into a contest of who thinks they're the most spiritual. The Bible says we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but not spiritual office. You don't seek an office. You seek spiritual gifts. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the gifts of Christ. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, words, knowledge, healing, miracles, all of that. And the gifts of Christ, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. There is, God believes in delegated authority. So when the apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, there is something about your followership of Christ that is connected to an anointed leader that is over you in the Lord. And doesn't that feel good in North America to think someone's over you? Don't we love that? I love how we're not so ruggedly independent in Canada. We just, we just love to submit. No, you know, we have some issues with this. We just, we just do. Our culture is primarily two things, in my opinion. Our culture is narcissistic and ADD. How many agree with me? Do you know what I mean? Narcissistic, like very into ourselves. Just, just, you know, go through an Instagram feed and see how many pictures are of the person who has the Instagram account. This is me, and this is me, and this, and this is me again, and this is me. My favorite is when it's the same picture over and over again, right? Someone looks like the straw just fell out of their mouth while they're drinking a milkshake. Oh, hi. This is me at initiate, and this is me at lunch. And this is me near a bonfire when smoke is getting in my eyes. 
There's just me, 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 me. Okay, that, that's our culture. We're narcissistic. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look, me, 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 me. We're also ADD. We're just bouncing from thing to thing. It's hard for us to be in one room at, 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 at one time. We're like, while we're here, we're like, what's going on elsewhere? And so I read this book. Well, I started to read this book. Uh, <laughs> anyone else like me? You start books, and then you're like, yeah, I think I get it. That's like 90% of my library. I just like, I get it. The rest, honestly though, come on. Most books, it's like there's this nugget and then the publisher was like, keep going, make it a bigger book. And it feels like it. You're like, by chapter five, you're like, you already said this. <laughs> anyway, I read this book. Well, I started reading this book called Guns, Germs, and Steel. It's not a Christian book. Don't, don't hate me, but sometimes I read other things. <gasps> okay. So I read this book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, and it was all about how, how dominant cultures became dominant globally. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but uh, it was Guns, Germs, and Steel how they did it. Guns, Germs, and Steel. And the, the premise, the germs part of it, so obviously, you know, you can dominate if you have guns and everyone else has bows and arrows, you win, Right? Um, if everyone else is throwing rocks and you have steel, it's like, wow, you can't hurt me. I have a steel armor. You know, I've got a, a suit of armor. Which, you know, probably seemed like a good idea until you, like, fell into a bonfire. Then you're like, wow, I wish I wasn't wearing this suit of armor. <laughs> right? I can't believe how hard you're laughing. That is really disgusting. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Could you imagine? You'd be cooked alive in there. <laughs> anyway. The other part is germs. You all need help. <laughs> You're like, I can totally see. I can smell it if I use my imagination. <laughs> okay. I can't. You're still laughing. At some point, you got to be like, wow, too far. Okay, so germs. So when Europeans came over to North America, they came to North America, and yes, they were brutally violent and yes there was a lot of really dumb things like you know walking up to people who don't speak English walking up to First Nations people who don't speak English and be, being like confess Jesus as Lord and then when they don't understand what you're saying wow they're savages and start killing like just crazy stupid deplorable history but the premise of this book Guns, Germs and Steel says not only was there that kind of you know crazy violent dominant type of stuff that was happening. But the, 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 the most significant way that the European culture dominated and took over North America was through germs, was by carrying diseases that the Europeans were already inoculated to that had not ever been in North America. And just by simply coming on the shore, they wiped out masses of people because they were getting sick and not able to be inoculated to it carrying the flu with them and coming in. Flu had never been here and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people dying. Why am I saying that? I'm saying this is that 
our culture being so narcissistic and our culture being so ADD, our culture being so hard to focus, it's so, so difficult. Probably the only place that you experience immersive thought, meaning that you, you plunge yourself deep into a stream of thought for 40 minutes at a time, is probably just church or a movie. And next time you're watching a movie, I dare you to count how long the camera stays on one scene. The longest clip is three seconds. It's action, 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 action. And what I'm saying is, is that the, the culture that surrounds us, if we're not inoculated by the Holy Spirit, we will succumb and we will take that narcissistic ADD tendency and we will try to make it gel with Christianity and then we will start to develop a different gospel. We will start to use rationalizations and justifications for our lack of submission and for our egocentric ways. You know, this past week, I don't know if you heard, because it's not our country, but there was an election in America. I don't know if you heard about it. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, it happened, you guys. And... Uh, I happen to have a lot of friends online, you know, on you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Does anyone really use Twitter anymore? Twitter? Yeah. The tweets. You know, amazing the amount of pastors and leaders who use their platform and their influence to rail against politicians. And just think they're doing God's work. And it's because there's, they're not inoculated to the culture that they think that they have to engage culture with the way that culture engages the conversation. But, but we're the church. We're supposed to be different. You know, when Paul said in Romans 13, pray for those in authority. Do you know who was in authority at that time? Nero. Do you know who Nero was? Nero would dip Christians in oil and then hang them on poles and light them on fire for his garden parties. Nero married one of his male slaves. Caligula was a cross-dresser. There, like, there was a lot of corruption in the time that Paul wrote Submit to authorities because none of them exist except for that God established them. And we're like, well, I just have to raise my voice. I'm sorry. I'm not status quo. And I just don't care what people think. <laughs> There's a huge difference between the fear of man and having favor with man. And Jesus grew in favor with God and man. You need to know how to grow in favor with God and people. You do. Now, I want to get to what I want to teach on here. So um, I, want to, I want to address, I want to address, sorry, could you hear that? I was, that was me looking for the sound. Um, I want to address entitlement versus servanthood. Because if we're going to be led under anybody, we need to know how to serve. You know, Jesus' disciples would often get into arguments. Probably the funniest, the funniest timing of one of the arguments is literally like 
on the way to the Last Supper. And Jesus is talking to the disciples saying, guys, one of you is going to betray me and I'm going to be crucified and I really appreciate your prayer. And the disciples literally turn to each other and like, I don't know what he means. And then the Bible says an argument breaks out as to which one of them was the greatest. Jesus is like, I'm going to die in a few hours. Could you pray? And they're like, I don't know what he means, but I am the best disciple he has. And, <laughs> and I'm sure I'm his favorite. And you know, Jesus never reprimanded his disciples for wanting to be great. He just steered it for them. He said, if you want to be great, you got to learn to be the servant of all. you got to learn to serve if you want to be great. And the greatest challenge to being led under somebody is not the somebody that you're led under. The greatest challenge to being led under somebody is you. Not you, the person next to you. Now, the, the challenge, the greatest challenge that you're going to face in being led under is, is, is yourself. How long do I have? When am I done? 10.30? Okay, I'm going to speed up. All right, let me, just, let me just start firing stuff at you. Genuine humility is a challenge for a lot of leader types because it takes a certain level of confidence to lead people. And yet, listen, Jesus led without a need for approval. You ever notice that? Like Jesus would teach the crowd and the disciples would be there and they'd be like, hey man, hey man, praise God, bless you guys, thanks for coming. And then they'd turn to Jesus and they'd be like, what did, what did you mean? I didn't understand anything you just said. You ever notice that? Like Jesus would preach and, and they'd be like, we have no idea what you just meant. Why do you teach like that? <laughs> Why do you tell those stories that, that are like riddles? Because Jesus didn't teach to give the answers. He taught to get you to ask the right questions. He, he taught to get you to start wrestling with it. You know, most people woke up this morning thinking about Donald Trump being president. Most people woke up thinking about the Leafs game tonight and how they're going to win. Most people woke up, hey, don't laugh. It's our year. Stand and watch. Okay. The point is, most people have petty little things running through their mind. Most people don't wake up thinking, what happens after I die? Most people don't think, how could I maximize my life? They're not asking the right questions. So Jesus would teach in parables to get people to go away and scratch their head. And you're like, what's going on? Jesus didn't teach with a need for approval. The only leader without a Messiah complex was actually the Messiah. Okay, so let's look at entitlement. Entitlement, write this down. Entitlement is an attitude rooted in the belief that your ideas and your gifts are underappreciated. Entitlement is an attitude rooted in the belief that your ideas and your gifts are underappreciated. And generally, entitlement is fueled by a need for affirmation and often the response of the crowd. Ask yourself these questions. Who are you a better preacher than? Who are you a better worship leader than? Who are you a better youth pastor, a better kids pastor than? Now, let's be honest, no really, nobody really asks themselves that question. That's the really cocky people that think like that. Usually people think more like this. How come he gets all the opportunities and I don't? How come she's leading that thing again and I'm not? Or you put an asterisk next to someone else's success and you say, well, I guess they're doing pretty good if you're into that kind of thing. 
well, they're doing not bad for a heretic. A heretic, it means that you're teaching things that aren't true to God's word. Well, I could have big crowds too if I had their last name or, or if I was in that city or if I had their budget or if some famous people would retweet me. When there's an attitude of entitlement, basically everyone else's success is easier and all of your challenges are bigger. When you have an attitude of entitlement, oh, it's easy for them because of where they are and the budget they have and, and who they're related to. That's easy for them. But it's tougher for me. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's been, I've had some challenges. It's the seedbed of un, un, entitlement. If left unchecked, entitlement can corrupt anointed leaders. It can derail ministries. So I want to I contrast two Bible characters for you. I'm going to try to do this as, as fast as I can. I want to contrast two Bible characters for you who were um, in support roles because I'm making the assumption everybody here is in a support role. Like, you might have a primary leadership gift, but you're in a secondary role. That, that means that, that you are supporting someone else's vision. That means that you are serving someone else's vision. You are in submission. That means you are submitted. You are submission under someone else's mission. Okay? So you, you are in a support role. And I want to just take a look at two guys with drastically different outcomes. First, I want to look at Joseph. You can find his story in Genesis 37 to 50. The, the story of Joseph, you know, you, you, you understand it. Let me just go really fast. He was wearing a coat of many colors because his dad told everyone that he was his favorite. And so that's bad parenting, right? And so Joseph is, uh, you know, his dad's favorite. He's got this fancy coat because back in Bible times, if you had a coat of many colors, it was a big deal. Everyone loved it, and they were jealous. They weren't ready for his jelly. And so they, they were seriously jealous of him. Then Joseph, one day he has a dream. And, and he has this dream, and, he, and his dreams are that he says at breakfast, he's like, hey, guess what, guys? I had two dreams last night. I was a sheaf of wheat. You were all sheaves of wheat. But your sheaves of wheat were all bowing down to mine. Isn't that the best dream ever? Do you guys love my dream? And then, he's like, and then I had this other dream. I was a star, and you were all stars. And mom, dad, you were there too. You were the moon and the sun. And guess what? You were all bowing down to me. <laughs> Let's try it now, you guys. Do you want to bow down to me? And so his brothers hated him even more. Okay? They hated him. Okay? So... They come up with this plan. They're like, let's kill him. <laughs> like, we read the Bible and we just kind of like, oh, it was Bible times. If this was happening in your youth group, like, family and children's services are involved. Okay? So they're like, let's kill him. And then they're, they, they're like, hey, buddy, want to come out and um, do some shepherding with us? And he's like, yeah, guys, thanks. Can I wear my coat? And so he wears his coat and gets out there, and they take his coat off of him, and they're about to beat him to death, and then one of them has a bright idea. Wait a second. Let's not kill him. We could make a few bucks and split it if we sold him as a slave. We could just fake his death. So they're like, You're, you are a genius. And so they throw him into a pit. They take off his coat of many colors. They kill a lamb. They dip his coat into blood. And then they sell him to some, some slave traders and take the coat home to dad. And they're like, oh, look, he, he's dead. And, you know, they didn't have DNA testing back then. Or it would have been like, what? That's lamb's blood, right? So anyway, um, <laughs> it would have been so much easier to stage crimes back then. You ever thought that? Have you ever thought how much easier it would have been to rob a bank like 30 years ago, 40, before there was closer? Is it just me? I should stop thinking that. I need to pray more. <laughs> 
I watch movies sometimes. I'm just like, I can just walk in there and take money and walk out. That's wrong, though. I just think it. <laughs> Whatever. You have your struggles. So... Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he goes to this guy Potiphar's house, and he's so good at being a slave that he becomes the top slave. He's in charge of the whole house. And then Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him, and so she wants to have sex with him, the Bible says. And so, you know, Joseph is righteous, but she was also a cougar, so there's a little bit of two things going on there, <laughs> right? So he's like, no, thanks, and he runs out of the house, and again, his garment is involved. She grabs his garment and rips it off him, and he goes streaking through the yard, and she yells, rape! And Joseph's like, who, me? Right? So, so they throw him in prison. He goes to prison, and he's so good at being a prisoner, they put him in charge of the prison. Now, if you ever want a picture of integrity, picture Joseph being handed the keys to the prison, and locking himself in at night, being like, all done, boss, there you go. <laughs> okay, why would Joseph lock himself in at night? Because he was committed to God fulfilling his purpose for him. He didn't want to do it himself. So he's in prison. Cupbearer and the baker come down. They get kicked out of their jobs working for the Pharaoh, and they both have dreams. And so Joseph's good at interpreting dreams, so he's like, at least he thought he was, right? I had a dream 15 years ago. It hasn't come true yet. But anyway, so he's, he's, he's hearing their dreams, and he says to the baker, yeah, you know what your dream means? You're going to get your head cut off, so sorry. He says to the cupbearer, guess what? You're getting your job back. When you get your job back, if you could put in a good word for me and the Pharaoh... That'd be sweet. And then cupbearer gets his job back. Baker gets his head cut off. And the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. And he's left down there for a couple more years. Then one day, the Pharaoh has a dream. He sees seven fat cows getting eaten by seven skinny cows. No one can figure out the dream. And so cupbearer goes, wait a second, I know a guy. And so he calls Joseph. Joseph comes up. And he interprets the dream. He says, you're going to have seven years of bounty. And then you're going to have seven years of famine. And what you should do is during the seven years of bounty, you should get barns. And you should just stow everything away. And that way, when the seven years of famine come, you won't be consumed by the famine. You'll be able to sustain yourself in the whole known world. And the Pharaoh's like, that is a great plan. And you know who should do it? You should. Ba -ba -da -ba -ba. And now, now... Joseph goes from being a prisoner to prime minister in like 0.2 seconds. Now I want you to observe. Okay, Joseph had a better idea than his leader. His leader didn't even know what was going on. His leader's like, I got a dream, but I can't even figure it out. I don't know what to do. And if you're in a support role, sometimes you'll work with somebody and be like, you seem like you don't know what to do. God's testing you. God's preparing you for authority with authority. So how did Joseph serve? He just interpreted and offered a suggestion. And then he was promoted for it because there was an excellent spirit in Joseph. Joseph had a dream from God. He had a promise from God. But I, I want to say to you, that the process and the promise never look the same. God gives you a dream, you're going to be a ruler, and then what happens next? You get killed, you know, fake death by your brothers, sold into slavery, and then a prison for, you know, theologians say about 15 years. 15 years. Joseph was probably 15 when he had the dream. A lifetime. 15 years. 15 
years of just hanging on to a dream. But he held on because he believed the promise of God. And then when he spoke into Pharaoh's life, he didn't speak like he did when he was a punk kid saying to his brothers, hey, guess what? I'm going to be a ruler. Instead, he just submitted an idea and an interpretation. And the leader promoted him for it. Contrast that with Absalom. You can find his story in 2 Samuel 13 to 18. Absalom had ambition. Absalom's half-sister Tamar was raped by his half-brother Amnon. Again, family and children's services would be involved if this was nowadays, right? So, so he's, his sister that he loves is raped by his half-brother, and he is so mad about it. And David, his father, the king, did nothing to correct the situation. Please, please observe that. Please observe that Absalom had justification to be offended with his leader. He had a point. He had a good point. He had a point that everyone in this room would agree with. You know what? You know, you're, you're right, Absalom. That is disgusting. I can't believe that your dad didn't do anything. I can't believe the king did nothing. It's, it's nice when we can just kind of typecast characters in the Bible, and then we don't have to actually wrangle with the fact that, that, that Absalom as a type, is something that all of us will wrestle with. Because he had a point. So, David didn't do anything when it came to Amnon and Tamar. He didn't, he did, he just, he just kind of just was like, wow, I'm sad, and didn't do anything. So Absalom got mad. His offense turned into bitterness, and then that turned into ambition. And Absalom was due to be the next king. He was, when David died, he was like, he was kind of next in line. And so Absalom had this idea. He went to the city gates. And as people were coming into the city to meet with the king, because the king in those days functioned like a judge. He would settle disputes between people. People would come to the, to the, the, the city. And Absalom would be sitting there at the gates. He'd be sitting in the church lobby, working the lobby like a boss. And he just, he went up to people. And the Bible says he would get down on his knees and kiss people's hands. Oh, how are you? Wow, you look amazing. Did you lose weight? I love your hair. What are you going to see the king about? And people would be like, oh man, you know, I'm pretty sure my neighbor stole a couple of my chickens. And he'd go, wow, that's horrible. I can't believe that. I hate chicken theft. That is, that is top on my list of, uh, if I was king, that would be like, that would be my platform is overturning chicken theft in the land. I'll tell you what I would do is I was king. I, you know, I, this is how I would handle it. And the Bible says he ran a silent campaign of just winning over the hearts of the people by sucking up to them. One day, they blew a trumpet. Absalom's now the king. And get this now, all of the kingdom turned and said, okay, we'll follow Absalom. He's got some pretty good advice. I'm going to get my chickens back. <laughs> and Absalom tried to seize upon power because he had better ideas than his boss. But what happened to Absalom? Well, David's men were fleeing for their lives and then saw that Absalom's men were coming to pursue them. And, and as Absalom was riding his horse, the Bible says that Absalom, apparently again, Bible times, was so handsome 
that his hair weighed like eight pounds. Now, I guess having a great big bouffant was really big in the Bible in terms of like handsomeness. Like they would cut his hair every year and weigh it. Like, wow, you are so handsome, your hair weighs a ton. <laughs> so before he got his big boof chopped, he's riding a horse and his hair gets stuck in a tree. Read the Bible, it's a fantastic book. And he's dangling, so he's, right? And his hair gets stuck in the tree and the horse keeps going and he's dangling there by his hair. And so someone runs and tells Joab, the, the military leader for David, runs and says, man, runs and says to him, hey, Absalom's uh, hanging from a tree. And Joab's like, well, what'd you do about it? He's like, uh, nothing. So Joab's like, where? And he runs and he finds Absalom hanging from a tree and he stabs him to death. So, the point is this. Joseph had better ideas than his boss, and he got promoted for it. Absalom had better ideas than his boss, and he got killed for it. What's the difference? What's the difference between Joseph and Absalom? Adversity versus privilege. And struggle versus entitlement. Absalom felt entitled to the throne because he was the heir apparent. Like the prodigal son who wished his father was dead, wanted to have his inheritance before his father died, he just wanted to seize it. He demanded the seat of authority without any respect for the one who currently occupied that seat. Let me tell you something. You are going to reap the kind of follower that you are. You're sowing seed right now. The way that you follow, that's how people will follow you. I feel bad for all these pastors and leaders who are trashing on any you know, political leader in the world, I don't care. You trash on leaders, guess what you're going to reap? No, not me because people love me. No, you're telling them how to handle authority. You're teaching. You're modeling how to handle authority. Well, this, it's, it's dear to my heart. It's because this matters to me. It's no, you have a rotten attitude, and I just said it. You have a rotten attitude, and you need to get it right. How can you say that? Because you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, your options are limited. You don't get to trash on leaders. What, what if they're a bad leader? Read the Bible. Lots of bad leaders. You know Daniel? Everyone wants to be a Daniel. Daniel was kidnapped. His entire destiny was under kidnap. When Daniel grew up, he wanted to serve the king of Israel. You know who he served? Five different kings of Babylon. So take a load off Fanny. <laughs> Joseph started out demanding respect solely on the basis of his dream. He started out saying, hey, respect me. I've got a dream from God. Respect me. I've got an anointing. I've got gifts from God. Listen, you don't get authority. You don't get opportunity. You don't get respect and honor on the basis of your potential or on the basis of your anointing or on the basis of your gifts. You don't. You get authority, opportunity, respect, and honor from consistency and character and experience. So you want, you want people to respect you because you're anointed? I've got an anointing. I've got a dream from God. You ever, you ever seen somebody who just can't catch a break? Like, oh, man, I'm just, I just, I'm so annoyed. They're so gifted. They're whatever, and they just can't stay at a church long. They just, you know, they, everywhere they go, they're like, oh, I thought this was going to be different. But this pastor's a loser, too. I just, you know what the problem is? The mirror. Take a look in the mirror. That's not God. That, that, like, that's not people in your way. That's God in your way. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Why does God oppose the proud? Because pride goes before a fall. If you are proud and you ascend to a height of leadership, when you fall, you're going to take a lot of people with you. 
So what does God do? He sends you into adversity and struggle. Why? So that you can be tested and come through it. James, uh, James chapter 1, 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen, raise your hand. How many want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? Do you know what you just said you want? Trials of many kinds. You're like, who oh, can I take it back? No, you can't. The testing of your faith is going to make you persevere. Do you know the, the people that make it into heaven and, and get white robes are called overcomers, and it's not an honorary title? It's not a participation ribbon like, you know, going to public school in Ontario? Overcomers overcome. More than conquerors, more than conquered some stuff. It's not a title. It means you actually did it. You don't claim promises. I, it's so popular to claim promises. You cannot claim promises. You don't claim promised lands. Have you read the book of Joshua? You don't claim promised lands. Joshua walks into promised lands like, hey, everyone, got a promise from God. I don't know if you knew, but God told us we could have your land. So if you wouldn't mind leaving, but just leave the stuff. Leave your cars. Leave the houses. This is our land. And everyone's like, oh, seriously, God gave this to you? <laughs> Take it. See you. No, it doesn't happen that way. Read the book of Joshua. You want a promised land? You don't claim promises. You fight for promises. Joseph gets a promise when he's 15. You're going to be a ruler. Well, he, he interpreted it that way. Either that or you're going to grow up and be a sheaf of wheat. I think he had good interpretation. So, okay, I'm going to be a ruler. All right. Joseph, you're going to be a ruler. And then what happens? He's tested. The process doesn't look like the promise. He's sold into slavery. And then he's kicked out of the, he's falsely accused of rape. And then he goes to jail and then he's forgotten. If you were Joseph's friend, I'd say right around year 12, you'd be like, buddy, you didn't hear from God. You're interpreting it wrong. You're, you're, you got delusions of grandeur, man. How are you going to rule anything? What's, where'd you go to school, Joseph? Prison? What's your work experience? Slavery? <laughs> Dude, come on. That wasn't God. That was pizza. You did not have a dream from heaven. But he held on to the dream. Consider pure joy when you're tested. Why? Because it's developing character in you. The difference between Absalom and Joseph was testing. It was adversity. It was being willing to endure the test of being misunderstood by leaders. Being misunderstood by your older brothers. Joseph pressed into the dream of God even when his brothers hated him. Even when he was falsely accused of rape. He had every reason to hate leaders. Leaders suck. He could have just you know, done a Twitter campaign and you're not my president. He could have just whatever he wanted to do. But instead he kept his heart right. Not my pastor. Not my leader. He kept his heart right. And God promoted him, and you couldn't see it coming. You could not see it coming. The, the morning that Joseph woke up the, in prison and the night that he went to bed in the palace, you could not see it coming. God's got your number. He knows where you are. And if you actually believe that he's watching the seed of your life, then listen, sow good seed. Be a good follower. Submit. Submit. 
Your complete maturity does not come through more anointing, more gifts, more talents, more success, or more opportunity. Your maturity comes through the testing of your faith and perseverance in adversity. That's where your maturity comes from. That's when you'll be complete. Some of the best training that you're going to get in, in ministry is doing stuff that you're not gifted or anointed at. Because that is where you have no supernatural advantage. If you only serve where you're anointed, you're not going to grow. If you're anointed as a worship leader, don't rank your abilities on where you're anointed. You have an advantage. God gave you gifts. And here's a like, pro tip. God's not impressed with the gift. He gave it to you. When my kids were little, I'd give them 20 bucks at Christmas and they'd buy me Christmas presents. I'm not impressed they spent 20 bucks on me. What I am impressed is what they bought. What they think of me. My kids got me nutcrackers every year at Christmas. For some reason, they had this idea. I like nutcrackers. I don't know why. I've no, to this day, I don't know why. We have stacks of nutcrackers. We set them up every Christmas. They got this idea in their head. Dad loves these. What? I don't know. Yeah, these are the best. They got me a Thor hammer once. Mario pajamas. I still have all these things. Why? Because that said... I gave them money, and then they said, this is how we see you, Dad. You love what we love. These are your favorite things. And it showed me their heart. God's not impressed with your gifts. He's impressed with how you use them and how you serve. If you only serve where you're anointed, you're ranking yourself on an unfair scale. Change the church sign in February because the pastor asked. Clean up a toilet because it's dirty. Pick up the garbage because the janitor didn't. Not to get noticed, but to develop a servant heart. Okay? All right, I close with this. I'm sorry, I'm so over time. Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. P.S. It doesn't say you should try to have the same attitude as Jesus. It says your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's possible, so get cracking. Start working at it. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or another way of putting it is he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Have the attitude of Christ. Don't rank yourself where you're anointed. Jesus didn't use his deity to his advantage. What do I mean? I mean that when you read the Gospels, every amazing thing that you see Jesus doing, he didn't do it because he was God. He did it because he was anointed. He did it because the Spirit of God was upon him. He humbled himself. And in our lives, we need to humble ourselves and serve. This isn't an act, it's an attitude. This is meekness. This is strength under control. This is me as a dad wrestling with my son when he was five years old. 
When I'm wrestling with my son at five years old, I could snap him like a twig, but only a jerk thinks like that. I got nothing to prove. You know why I wrestle with my son when he's five? To help him build confidence, to have fun, and to let him think he's really strong. It's meekness. Okay? Final closing thoughts, then we'll pray. Good intentions do not make rebellion acceptable. Remember the Pharisees? Murder is wrong, but in this case, we should do it because if we don't, everyone is going to become a Christian. So let's kill Jesus. We know murder is wrong, but we won't do it on the Passover because there will be a riot. <laughs> wow, you're so spiritual. Good intentions don't make rebellion acceptable. You will reap what you sow as a leader and as a follower. So what kind of follower are you? The right idea shared in the wrong spirit is the wrong idea. You know, Joseph could have shared his idea like this. Well, Pharaoh, if you had any discernment at all, you'd know that there's a famine coming and anybody you can see you should build barns. What do you want to do, starve to death? And Pharaoh would be like, wow, thanks for interpreting that. I'll find somebody who's not a jerk to do what you just said. And then Joseph would sit there and go, they're doing my ideas. <laughs> if you've ever found yourself in that place, check yourself, not the people. Maybe you want too much credit. If you save all your best ideas for when you get to lead, you're putting a cap on your ideas. Give it your best now. Always give your best. Don't save it for later. Final, I'll close with this. If you can't buy in, get out. If you can't buy in, get out. If you can't buy in to where the leader is, don't, don't, don't fake it. Don't, just, just get out. If you can't buy in, get out. But first, check your heart. God, are you teaching me something? Like Jared was saying last night, am I still supposed to be doing what I'm doing? And if God says yes and you don't like it, guess what? God meant yes. Stay there and persevere and grow. Let me pray for you.